Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. I am as stunned as you all are. Two baseball playoff games yesterday. I guess everybody had their expectations. Maybe you didn't have any, but no one expected either one of those. Really? St. Louis goes out and scores 10 times in the first inning. The game was over before it started. They went 13-1. to Snoozer. No reason to watch that. 10-zip. Done. Braves are done. Cardinals are moving on. And then the Nationals, they're, they're down 3-1. And Kershaw comes in and gets him out of the seventh. Bring him in to face a lefty. I, honestly, I didn't like it. I just don't think they should have brought him in. They should have used their bullpen. But, okay, you got a lefty on lefty, and he got the out. But then they run him back out there to bring the, to the start the eighth. And I'm sure they're figuring, hey, we got a two-run lead, and we got another lefty coming up second. <sighs> he gives up two homers. Two pitches. Bang, bang. 3-3 game. It felt like they were beaten at that point. Watching the game, I just had no expectation they'd come back and win it. Sure enough, the former Salt Lake beat Howie Kendrick. He's been the major so long, I wonder if they were the Bees. I I think they were. I think they were the Bees. But it's been so long that maybe uh, it was the buzz. And what was it between the buzz and the Bees? I'm forgetting now. Holy cow. Stingers. Yeah, Stingers. Could he have been a Stinger? I don't think so. I think he's a B. Point is, he played his AAA ball here on the way to the Angels. And then he did play for the Dodgers, and he went to the Phillies and the Nationals. And now he beats the Dodgers the Grand Slam in the 10th inning of Game 5. Could have only been better if he were at home. His fans, and it would have been a walk-off. They had to go through the 10th. I thought it was just going through the motions. Dodgers went down without a whimper. And the Nationals are moving on. So we got a 91. and In a year when we had, what do we have, like four 100-win teams? Yeah, Great. They're just sitting down one after another. We could lose Houston today. We're down to two. Minnesota won 101 games. The Dodgers were a 106-win team, I think. Yankees are 103. They're through uh, to the ALCS. And now we got the Astros. Hanging by a thread. Will the Bays come back, or will the Rays come back, Tampa Bay Rays come back from 0-2 to win the series? Game five today. All right. Let's move along to the college football, because I do believe that's why most of you are here, but the playoff baseball really was astounding. It was just unbelievable. Uh, BYU, Jeff Grimes has got his work cut out for him. You know, they have a plan. Uh, you got a plan for the year. you got a plan for the opening games, and you got to change the plan because you lose your starting quarterback and your starting running back. And the defense isn't very good against the run, and you're traveling across country again, first to Tennessee, then to Toledo, now to South Florida. This is three games in the Eastern time zone. Yikes. But you got to win. I mean, nobody cares about your problems, as Kyle Whittingham likes to say. And I think BYU legit has problems to deal with. But you just you got to overcome it and win. So what's Grimes going to come up with? Well, obviously he's not going to give away the whole game plan, but he did talk to the media for a few minutes, and here he is. Jeff, with Jaron in there instead of Zach, are you putting in anything different, or is it pretty much status quo offense-wise? Well, there will be some things that are that are slight adjustments, wrinkles, um, but for the most part, we'll run the same offense. He's capable of doing the same things um, that Zach did, and he has been repping those things. So it'll be a very similar look. So unlike last year where midstream you pretty much made wholesale changes, nothing like that? Yeah, no, not like that. How advantageous was it to have that bye week to have the extra reps, though? Yeah, it was great. It was great. And really, even though it wasn't good for Zach, it was good for Jaron to have all the spring ball, too, to get all those reps. And so I think we have a lot of – well, I know we as a coaching staff and the entire team has a lot of confidence in Jaron. So we're excited to see him play. I was going to ask you, like, how much – do you think that's put him ahead at this point in terms of having all those reps during the offseason? Yeah, I mean, you can never have too many reps as a young guy, especially a young quarterback, but he's certainly ahead of 
of where he would have been had that not been the case. Where has he made the, the biggest strides since spring, Jared? Yeah, I think um, I think similar to Zach's progress, just knowledge of the system, knowing where to go with the ball. You know, um, last spring it was his it was his physical improvement. Um, I think now it's his mental improvement in the game, just knowing where to go with the ball and when to go there. I think the natural assumption is that Baylor Romney would be the backup because maybe he runs the offense. Um, better. Or? We ha- we haven't made a final decision on that yet. Both he and Joe are getting reps. Are you feeling any sense of urgency to really get the offense to produce what you know they're capable of to be able to ensure a win at Tampa? I'm sure. There's always a sense of urgency in this this game. But in this game, like, having lost the last two, is there any pressure to really come out with a win to know that then you have two two tough teams coming up right after them? Well... What comes up after this one makes no difference whatsoever. There's always pressure in this game, but we don't look at it like pressure. We look at it as an opportunity. That's how I see it as a coach. I think that's how our, our team sees it. And for us, it's another opportunity to go and play and and score points and, and show what we can do. But um, we don't look about it in terms of pressure or if you're insinuating a must-win scenario or anything like that. We, we don't talk like that. We just talk about winning one game at a time. How is Soup doing as kind of that lead back now that you know for Tyson? Good, good. Really, really pleased with his progress, and um, I think all he needs is more opportunities. Is he? A lot of people think he's a big body bag. Maybe he doesn't have the top end speed. Do you think he's got the speed to get? The well, he's got the top end speed. There's no question about that. He may not as be um, some other things as well as other people, but he's he's got top end speed. He's he's plenty fast enough. Lots being made about that USF offense and, and kind of just the different schemes and systems they run. But what do you make of that defense and, and that the back end, especially? That seems well, they're you know they're like a lot of teams in Florida. They've got a lot of skill, a lot of guys that can run at all positions, both in the back end and and in their front seven. So um, they're they have a lot of talented players. So it'll be another real challenge for us. Do you have to spend extra time with Jaron on that RPO, or is that just something that pretty much since spring he's been kind of up to speed on? Yeah, I mean, not any more so than anything else that we do. That's that's a part of what we do, and he, he did it all spring and, and is very comfortable with it. So um, that's just another part of our offense that, that we think he's uh, certainly capable of, of executing well. There's BYU offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. Hard times at BYU, but they'll feel great if they get a win because they really are up against it. If you go back to South Florida and you rally that defense, they defend the run a little better, and South Florida doesn't run it very well, so that ought to lower the bar. And if you're an experienced quarterback, can be their inexperienced quarterback and now play him. And if you can generate some kind of run game with your backup, and I, I thought they you know, did that at times against Toledo. Hey, just make one more play. Nobody cares if it looks pretty. Just win the game. Just find a way. Maybe it's in special teams. Maybe they got to block a kick. I don't know. Got to figure something out. All right, there was Jeff Grimes. When we come back, we're talking football with Riley Nelson. More on the Cougars coming up. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to hear from Riley Nelson. 
BYU analyst on the radio broadcast, former Cougar quarterback. Now, uh, we're replaying this from when he was on yesterday, so you early risers can hear it. I thought he had a bunch of good takes. It's always good to have him on. He's, he thinks about football a lot, and he thinks about it at a different level than most of us. Maybe a few of you who played at the college level and watched a gazillion hours of film think about it the way he does. Uh, as he comes on, PK's been talking about uh, how wound up we get over BYU is because they're an independent and because they don't, um, uh, you know, they don't have the conference to get into to not only hit reset, but for us to judge the other teams by. It's just kind of, you know, win eight games. Whereas here we're judging a race and it doesn't really matter how many of the Utes win as long as they finish in front of everybody else. And, you know, we watch USC Washington and we think, okay, that lowers the bar for the Utes now because USC's got a loss and they didn't look good, so they'll probably lose more. Uh, and BYU doesn't benefit from all of that. They just got to go win. And so people tend to freak out. I think the front-loaded schedule plays into it as well. Anyway, that's what we were talking about as Riley comes on. Here he is. Riley, good morning. Morning. And uh, PK's right. Happiness is a function of expectation. So for all the BYU fans out there that like to be a little bit happier, probably easier to adjust your expectation rather than, um, you know, waiting for some dramatic shift in – in wins of the quality of the program because any improvement that's going to come at this point is going to either take some drastic change and even with maybe some drastic changes it's going to you know whether it's scheme or leadership or coaching um it's going to take a while even even after the change to to kind of build up to where people imagine the, the program can be so do you have low expectations for BYU going to South Florida, they're two and three. You got an inexperienced quarterback who's getting his first start. But on the other side of the table, you have another team that is two and three, and they've got an inexperienced quarterback. All right, he's gotten a couple starts, but it seems like a wash on those two fronts, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'd say I have appropriate expectations <laughs> in that I think it's going to be a competitive game. I, I think this team is has shown, obviously with the exception of, of Washington, you know, and Utah, uh, and and those games had they not, well, Washington pretty much handed it to them, but Utah had they not given it away. But they, they were even competitive in the, in the first parts of those games, at least going into halftime. And uh, so they, they can be competitive with anyone, given, and then as long as in the second half they don't come out and give the ball away and play sloppy, uh, I expect a competitive game. So this is this is one I expect to be similar to Toledo. If BYU comes out and makes plays, I, one of the big things I'm looking for is they need to capitalize on opportunities once they get into field goal range, and then especially in the red zone where they were they were two for eight. Uh, once they kind of cross the 35, which Jake Oldroyd's proven that you know 42, or, or sorry, he's proven he can you know hit from the the deep 40s. Anyway, once they've gotten into, they were two and eight against Toledo. Uh, once they kind of got in the scoring range, they need to capitalize more on those opportunities. Given that they can do that, and if they can, you know, be a little bit stiffer against the run, then I think they'll have a little bit better fortunes than Toledo. But I don't, you know, I'd be my expectations are I'd be surprised if if a victory is a double digit victory. I'm wondering about how much the players are aware or concerned about things that really go beyond the actual football on the field. And what I mean by this is that with BYU, and you just heard that what I said coming in, is that it just seems like it's doom and gloom with these guys. They're going to start 0-whatever. They're going to start 1-4, and whatever. And so there's all this pressure. Now this pressure heaped on Kalani 
and how much of that gets to the players. And, and in your situation, when you were playing, you know, you had this uh, guy that you're competing with, Heaps, and he was anointed, the press conference, the number one quarterback, all this stuff. And so it seemed like there was such pressure on the offense to deliver and they finally made that change and like the crowd is anxious and you can feel the anxiety practically in the stadium to make a change and they finally do it and you come in and all that stuff does all that it, all that add up and may become too big of a burden for the players to actually have to carry as opposed to just worrying about playing football that's a great question i can uh you know, as far as this team, I'm not I'm not in the locker room, and I I get only you know, probably superficial interactions with with players as as to how they felt. But I can tell you at least on those teams that I played on. I mean, obviously, we nobody was walking around happy or satisfied because we weren't you know as an offensive unit we weren't playing to our to our potential. You know, and the, you know, it made the change, and I came in, and some things were a little bit different. We had a good offensive line. I was able to run around a little bit, cover up some of the other inefficiencies for the offense by making some plays with, with you know, my legs, which, by the way, I do think is a positive heading into this game with Jaron Hall. Zach's extremely athletic um, and was able to extend and make some big passing plays by running around and staying behind the line of scrimmage. I think Jaron Hall, you know, taking off on third and six, where where Zach was more was maybe more inclined to thread the needle on a couple of those big third downs. Jaron can take off and and go and get those with his feet, and I think that'll help make life a little bit off easier on the offense and be able to sustain a little bit more drives by running around. But going back to what you talked about, the pressure and the expectations, nobody was happy, but yet nobody nobody felt the pressure. When, as you were uh, setting up the question, I was thinking about the 2012 year. So that was the year we lost, you know, four games by a combined like six or seven points. Uh, Notre Dame, Boise, Utah, all those. Anyway, at the end of the season, the off the entire offensive staff gets canned, and we knew that as an offense, we weren't producing to our potential. But we also knew, you know, I was I was playing through an injury. We lost. Um, we we did have a freshman Jamal Williams, but we had to rely on him too early because backs like Mike Elisa broke their arm and Yona Pritchard broke his leg and our offensive line pretty much everybody across our offensive line was uh playing hurt and it was a, a game of musical chairs up front as we never had you know the same starting lineup twice that entire season so as an offense yeah we knew we weren't perform- performing to potential but didn't think that the staff was doing such a poor job that they would be canned because we felt like it was more due to injury than it was inability to execute and you know, the view from the top, the head coaches, the athletic directors, they're the ones that have to be honest and objective about that 30-foot 30 30 foot view. And probably that's why they feel the pressure more than the actual players. But as an actual player, you get the game plan, you know, come in on Monday, get the game plan, you refine it all the way through Thursday, you get on a plane and you go play on Saturday and you kind of rinse and repeat throughout the season. And so it doesn't give much opportunity for the pressure to build up too big, at least in my experience. So what do you think, as a quarterback who wasn't playing but thought he might play and then suddenly got thrust into it, what, what's a quarterback feeling right now before his first start? What's Hall thinking? Well, there's uh, excitement because, uh, you know, every backup quarterback, at least any backup quarterback that's worth his salt, is, believes he can play and believes that he can help the team and has uh, unique skill sets that can help the team 
be productive and produce wins. So you're excited for the opportunity to to prove that and and to show to show what you can do, um, and mostly to your teammates and coaches. And then uh, you know there's a there's a very tiny bit of indication that does come. You know PK mentioned that game I got thrown in against Utah State, and so you know the fans were really excited and they were cheering and yelling and. And that's some vindication too, because you're kind of like, yeah, I knew I could play all along, and finally, all these people are realizing it too. At least that was that was my attitude, and 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 it's one that I think any quality backup at any position should have is that you know that deep hunger to get the opportunity to prove themselves, and so that that's the main thing. This the second thing is that you hope is that he's just treating this, he's relying on his previous experience. Maybe he doesn't have a D1 start, but he was a successful quarterback in high school, won a lot of games, made a lot of plays, and realized that, hey, I'm that same player, I'm that same guy, I can do those same things. The game might move a little bit faster, the guys might be a little bit bigger, but at the end of the day, it's still the same game I've been playing since I was eight years old. And so, you know, try and calm any fears or apprehension by, by you know, drawing from that bank of confidence and go out there and, and uh, produce. How big is confidence early for Hall? Uh, I would say not as important as, as confidence late. You know, this BYU team gave up a lead in the fourth quarter, and to, to me it's it'd be more important to him to be confident uh, with the ball and the opportunity to win or put the game away in the fourth quarter than it is that I don't, from what I know of him and in the interactions I've had with him, I don't see him as a guy who's who's going to fold or, or get in a downward spiral. So, for for an overall offense of a unit, so I guess the best way to answer that question is, I don't think it's as important for him to make some big plays earlier, but I think it's better for the offense as a unit because while every while he's got the offensive support and it's next man up and everybody you know has been practicing with this guy for a week, there's always still that you know. Two, three, five percent of the subconscious mind that the rest of the offense is wearing. Can this guy really do it for us? And so, if the offense as a unit can come out and make some plays early, then that'll work really well towards the momentum and psyche of it. I don't so much worry about Jaron getting off to a fast start because I know he's a fighter and he's going to play all sixty minutes. But for the psychology of the offense overall, I think it's it's pretty vital. So what is South Florida going to do to trip him up? What When you're watching the game and you're up high so you can see all 22 pretty easily, what do you think the big challenge is going to be for him and, and one he may not even see coming just due to lack of experience? Yeah, great question. So um, all of his film that he's put out in games, and it hasn't, it hasn't been a ton. Obviously, you had that two-minute drive, so you get, a, you get a feel for you know his ability as a passer, but every rep leading up to that last two-minute drive against Toledo was showing off his legs, right? He essentially was used as a as a fly sweep decoy, or they handed him off on the fly sweep. And, and he, was, he was moderately successful. I know his stats on the season don't look good. Part of that has to do with um, the play against Utah when, you know, the snap was higher and off his shoulder and he lost, like, he started off the season with, like, a negative 18-yard rush. And uh, he's barely back to neutral, I think. But um, so you, you don't rely on the stats, but as you look at the plays he's played, he, you don't, most backup quarterbacks aren't your fly sweep option guys. So, uh, you know that he's got speed. So I imagine, so things that they're going to try and do, anytime you get a quarterback, uh, 
as a defense, you probably live in the extremes. Like BYU had, you get a quarterback who's in his first couple starts. BYU, when they played against USC, they gave Slovis a lot of issues by dropping eight and throwing a bunch of people in coverage. And then the opposite is you heat those dudes up. You play man, and then you come in, you cause a lot of heck, you collapse the pocket, or at least try and cause a lot of chaos. But So I expect them to live in the extremes, and then when they're not living in the extremes, if I were them, and I imagine that they would do this, you're thinking, all right, this is a guy, he doesn't have a lot of reps going through progressions. He doesn't have a lot of um, you know, reps being, being a rhythm, timing, progression-based thrower. So he's going to always, he's probably going to be one, two, and default to his legs. So they should spy him. If I were South Florida, I would definitely spy him and at least limit his ability to make any kind of positive leg or positive plays with his legs. That combined with the fact that BYU's had trouble find you know really creating wide open receivers or, or 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 big windows to throw into that's how i would give jaron hall some problems if i were the defensive coordinator for south florida part of the deal with byu we've alluded this to this a little bit is that their schedule always seems to be taken in its entirety rather than the next game when you're in a conference with Utah, it's all about Oregon State, then Arizona State, then Cal. But somehow with BYU, if they lose this game, that's two in a row, and then they're losing to Boise and Utah State, and then they're two and six. Oh my gosh! Do the players do they get into that at all? Uh, no, you don't. Because as a player, first of all, every coach I've ever been around emphasizes. You know, the you got to go one and zero, and one and zero, and one and zero. And secondly, you get bombarded with so much film study and so much, you know, and the scouting reports and the and the changes in the practice plan and all those things from week to week that you don't have time to think much beyond uh, the next game. And and then secondly, they they don't at least none of the players or teams that I was on get in that downward spiral where you're like, man, if we lose this one, it's going to be tough to win the next two because you, you know, you're going to prepare and you're going to go out and compete your best. And any, you know, all the players that I played with or were around truly believe that no matter who the opponent is now, you're not, you're not naive. You don't think that, you know, Oh, we've, you're not walking into a game against the top, you know, where, where if you're two and four or you're three and three and you're walking into a game on the road against a top 25 team or something, you're not walking in there being like, oh, we got this one in the bag. But you're like, all right, if we can do this and this and this, which may, you know, the degree of difficulty may be high, but if we can do those things, we've got a chance to win this football game. So it doesn't give much opportunity for that, that downward spiral and projecting out your record. Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joining us here. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about uh, quarterbacks and the offense, but what about the flip side of this? USF is a team that's had some issues running the ball consistently. BYU is a team that has had issues stopping the run consistently. What do you expect in there, and how much do you think that will determine the game more than these inexperienced quarterbacks? Yeah, you know, they the defense find themselves in a little bit of a tough spot, at least from my perspective. I'd like to see him, and of course, just one man's opinion, right? I'd like to see him play a little bit more traditional 4-3 sets because uh, they've been better at stopping the run. Well, quite honestly, they have a problem stopping the run. And from my observation, I don't have the advanced analytics, but from my observation, that's come mostly when they play three, de- three defensive linemen. So I'd like to see him play four down, but there's a couple issues with that. They, they've had trouble 
when teams get long drives put against them with that that defensive front maintaining uh, you know their energy level, and so they've been platooning ever since that Utah game. They've been platooning the entire defensive front, and so where they've been rotating six guys out. Now, if you're going to platoon, you got to look for for eight guys, or you risk guys you know out there that uh, aren't able to sustain the, the effort necessary over the long course of a drive. So you have some problems there. And then as you look at the back end, their linebackers, they have a bunch of guys who are, like, for example, Kavita Fanu is a, a great player. He's made a lot of great plays, but he's a little bit undersized if you put him in a traditional 4-3 bike. That, that, a 4-3 bike's got to be a, a guy that really he spends most of his days taking on linemen. You know, and Kavika's probably 230 at his heaviest. And when you're taking on guys who are 3-3-10 all game long, first of all, the chances of you staying healthy are not great. And second of all, the chances for you being effective are, are diminished as well. And then you look at, you know, traditional outside linebackers um, as far as, you know, a Sam, a guy that can really cover well in space and also be, uh, you know, a good run support guy. And they're kind of looking for that guy too, and they're and they're all banged up. You look at Keenan; they're either banged up or they're you know a freshman or a guy getting his first look. Now, that that excuse, as you look at you know like Peyton Wilgar, Max Tui, Keenan Peely, Jackson Kapusi, Kavika Fanula, you look at those guys. That's that main core from which I would draw those three. They were either young guys or they were banged up. Now, banged up excuse doesn't go away, but the young guy excuse does because most of all these guys have played in at least four, and most of them have played every game this season. And so, uh, you know, that experience factor, you, you can uh, I would put a little bit tr- more trust in that linebacking core, um, switching to a 4-3, to, even though they haven't gotten a lot of looks at it this so far this season, you got to give it a shot because you got to do something. And then the last thing is we work our way back to the defense. Is one of the things I was not – well, if I were defensive coordinator, I would have not done was keep two safeties high as much as they did. you got to invert that, that second safety down for run support. You can still be there in the intermediate pass game, especially against a Toledo team that really couldn't push the ball down the field. In South Florida, while well, they've got some speed on the edge – they haven't proven to consistently be able to make plays down the field, and so you've got to bring that safety in to provide that added, you know, that added run support. So those would be, I think, it's absolutely vital that you know it's crazy that I'm going into this game hoping they hold South Florida under 200 yards, right? Just because their average is much higher than that, and they haven't proven really to be able to do otherwise. So I'm hoping if, if they can do that, I feel like they have an even better chance to win. If they can get more down like a stingy defense or, or a, a, an upper half defense and hold them to around 150 yards, I really like their chances. But I think in order to do that, you got to change up the look. you got to change up the scheme because the 3-4 has not been as effective as it needs to be. It's not one man's opinion. It's Riley Nelson's opinion. Let's make sure we're abundantly clear on that, Riley. That's, yeah, I, I'll own it. And, uh, <laughs> you always you know, do. It's, yeah, my my opinions come with uh, they come with a great. I, I, the reason why I say that is it comes with a grain of salt, and it comes with limited perspective, right? I'm not in the staff rooms, I'm not in the meeting rooms, I'm not in all those things. I just watch the games and 
kind of tell you what I can think. There may be some things going on behind doors that I don't know about. So I say that because I know if a player or a player's family is listening to this, they're probably saying, ah, he's an idiot because he doesn't know X, Y, and Z. So I just want to make sure people know that I don't profess to be all-knowing. Were you listening to us when you were playing, thinking those two guys are idiots, they don't know X, Y, and Z? <laughs> Man, I wish I had time. I was, I was an idiot when I was playing uh, in the fact that my, you know, my father's a father's a surgeon. And I was pre-med, and I wish someone would have put their arm around me and said, "Look, bud, you are gonna, you should not be pre-med. Go and get a degree in geography or a degree in communications, and you'll figure out how to make a living after football." But instead, I was, I, I was up at six, so I could have listened to you guys. But instead, <laughs> I was six going to meet with tutors and trying to get study just to keep my grades serviceable. So. Uh, I wish I could have listened to you guys, but maybe not because I know we we experienced some rough times. And when the waters get rough, I know the quarterback's the first one to take some heat. I never understood why you were stretching your back out at San Jose in obvious pain on camera and then went back into the game. That's what you would have heard us talking about. And then it turned out it was broken. (laughs) You looked like you were trying to stretch. It's broken. You can't stretch that out. All right, Riley, we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you. And, and, TK, thanks for being, you know, the family therapist for all <laughs> the BYU Cougar fans out there. And uh, we'll hope for better fortunes in Florida sure. in a couple of days. There's Riley Nelson. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our College Football Insider. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join Ans and Scotty. October 15th from noon to 3 at 185 West 12th Street, Suite C in Ogden. Customers that visit will receive a free liquid screen protector for your Android or Apple device while supplies last. We are joined right now by Riley Jensen, our college football insider. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Hey, good morning, fellas. What's going on? Oh, another week, another favorite in the Pac-12. Washington State looks yeah, really yeah. good. Washington looks really good. Oregon and Arizona look really good. Are you buying any of this? Or you figure just put it all in the wash for October and just let it go through the spin cycle and see how it spits out in November? Yeah, I, uh, that's how I kind of feel. Every year with the Pac-12, and, and I think we've almost said this too many times to remember, but there's just all kinds of head-scratcher wins and losses, and you, you, you kind of just have to wait to see how it plays out. I mean, you, you hope that your team is doing a great job and maybe only having a one-off, but, man, it seems like every year at this time we're starting to get some wins and losses that you're just like, man, I did not see that coming. And I, I don't even know how to explain it sometimes. So I, I'm, I'm more of the type that's going to just wait and see what happens here because – and it's just it's every year I'm confused about what happens about this time of year. 
Eh, that's a bunch of crap. This year it's all about Utah. They're the overwhelming favorite. They're in a great spot. They should be favored. They got seven games left. At worst, at worst, they're going to be favored in six, possibly all seven games. So it's their division to seize. We'll worry about who they play, Oregon, whoever it might be, when we get to that point. But as far as the South goes, it's them and everybody else. And anybody who thinks differently is either a fan who wants to put up a defense mechanism to make sure they're not hurt, or they're blind. Which one do you fall in? And I'll give you a third category, and you see the obvious, Riley. You got three categories. Choose one. So, so I'm either blind, yes. or I'm what? I'm blind. You're or a fan I'm, who wants to put up a defense I'm a mechanism. Fan. That's what it is. That's what I am. I'm a fan who's putting up a defense mechanism. No. I mean, look, Utah is in a great situation when you start talking about it. They are. Um, I think what's a little bit different this year is that they're 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 hunted rather than hunting, and it seems like in the past nobody really thought they were going to win the South or those sorts of things. And now when teams come to play them, they're going to bring their best game, and it's a different mindset. It's a different type of mentality when you know you're going to take the best shot from everybody. But there's no question that that Utah has this completely within their sights that they have it completely under their control. And I think that's probably what Coach Whittingham is talking about. He's like, look, don't get caught up in all this. We just have to win on Saturday, and then we have to win on Saturday, and then we have to win on Saturday. And that's our job is to just each week stay focused on the task at hand and take care of our business. Riley Jensen joining us here, our college football insider. Anything to worry about in the matchup with Oregon State and Utah? Well, I mean, obviously Utah has players and the depth and all those things. And I think the one thing that I love about college football is that sometimes we forget that even at Oregon State, most of those players were the best player on their high school football team. We forget that these are Division One athletes. You forget that these are Pac-12 athletes that are playing at Oregon State. And so if Utah doesn't come prepared, if they don't come ready to play, and they let Oregon play with them and let Oregon play with them, then all of a sudden they're in a game. I mean, look at UCLA last week. I mean, that, that's, that's turning into a dumpster fire down there. But it was all because they gave them confidence early in the game. So I think what you, what you want to do, and and I do not, by the way, I'm not comparing Utah to UCLA or, or any of that stuff, but what I'm trying to say is if you let Oregon State play with you for the first half, then you give them a little bit of confidence, then it's going to take you a little bit of, to, to kind of make a halftime adjustment and really lean on them. But if you come out quick and you're, you're able to do the proverbial punch them in the mouth a little bit, then they're not going to be so willing to play the whole game. And so – you just don't want to give teams like that confidence because if you do, I mean, they're still good football players. They still run fast. They still can hit. They still can throw the ball around, even though they don't have as good a record as everybody, you know, maybe thinks. And so you think it's a honor. So you got to come out. You got to be focused on the fundamentals of your game plan and just come out and really get after these guys early and put them away because really a Pac-12 championship in some ways is a war of attrition. And it has to do with depth, and it has to do with having enough players that are good enough to come in and replace a starting player because of injuries. That's what that's what you worry more about 
as a Utah fan right now is, is do we have the depth? I think they do, but do you have the depth to make it through a Pac-12 season and still be able to win games? Yeah, that leads me into my very next question because Britton Covey announced, not this week, but last week, that he was probably going to redshirt this season. And so they used him early, and when they used him, he clearly wasn't the Britton Covey of that we've seen the last prior years. So each time they threw him the ball, he really couldn't do much. So it was actually a negative, and now he's going to try to get himself healthy for the coming two years and, you know, we wish him nothing but the best. But you speak of that depth. So have not they haven't had Britton Covey at all this season to the level that he was. And now he's not going to be here at all, obviously, going forward. How big of a blow do you think that is, that not having Britton Covey at the full strength of Britton Covey will be for the Utes going forward? Well, I think it's a little bit of a blow that you don't have the full strength Britton Covey, but I think we already saw that, right? Right, exactly. That there was yes. a little bit of explosiveness gone. Yes. Um, I think what you worry about is that leadership. You worry about that ability to be there and really be there for the other guys and help them through things. Now, it's not like because he's hurt that you know he can't be there at the practices, that he can't be there in the game, but there's, there's a little bit of a difference in the way that that players take coaching from players that are playing and, or, or suggestions from players that are playing than from players that aren't playing. And there's also the, the, the other psychological part of injury where you're injured a little bit. It's really interesting and it's fascinating when it comes to the psychology of injury is a lot of times, and I don't, I don't necessarily think this is going to be true with Britain because I think he's an outstanding human being and he's, he does a lot of good things as far as leadership goes, but players generally feel a little bit, um, how do I say it? Like they feel like they're just kind of away from the team a little bit because typically they're going to work on their knee or they're going to rehab or they're going to get some things done so that they can, so they can heal up and so they can get back to the team, but they feel just a little bit away from the team and they feel a little bit disjointed when it comes to an injury. And, Typically, it's not because the players don't really enjoy that player or really enjoy being around that player, but they're just not around as much when they get injured. And so it's kind of like, well, we have to move forward. We can't can't sit around going, man, I really wish we had Britton Covey because that would really help us. They have to play the best they can. They have to replace him the best we can. And sometimes that leads to a little bit of a, you know, uh, a little bit of a distance between the player that's injured and the team. So it'll be interesting to see if his leadership is still a key role here because I, I think his leadership is maybe one of the things that we can't put our finger on and that we can't really understand how much he really leads other players and helps other players to work hard and to be the best they can be because he's, he's a fantastic person. Switching to the BYU-USF game, Jaron Hall is making his first start. You're a former quarterback. You've been an offensive coordinator uh, at multiple high schools for years. Coach up the quarterback who's making his first start on the road. What are you telling him? What can you do to get him ready for this? Well, I think if I'm coaching him up, there's there's two things that I talk about. I, don't, I, don't, I try not to overcomplicate it for a player, so – a lot of times all I'll do is pick out one thing that I think is going to be a key thing for him. You know, it might be like, hey, every time you get to the line of scrimmage, I want you to point out who your read is. You know, and, and typically in the run game and the pass game right now, you can point out who your read is. Right? They, 
there's there's all kinds of things that you can do so that doesn't give away exactly what you're doing. Or I'll give him some sort of a task that says, hey, just be really aware of where the whip linebacker is in the protection today. And if you know where the whip linebacker is, then everything else is going to fall into place. But if you, I think, I think the thing, the mistake that I made as a coach when I was younger in coaching was, hey, don't forget to know where the whip linebacker is. Don't forget to know where the mic linebacker is. And oh, by the way, on this play, you got to read the cornerback. And you, and you give them this list, this long laundry list of all these things that they need to do. And it becomes overwhelming for a quarterback. So I think giving him one or two solid keys to like help him calm himself down is going to be a key. And then I, I, I just think the second thing for him is to really just take what they give you. You don't, you don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be Zach Wilson. You don't even have to be the quarterback you were in high school. You just have to take what the defense gives you. And I think that's the hardest thing to learn in college is you want to throw for all these yards. You want to do all these great things for your teammates. There's also that element of I want to come in and show people that I should have been named the starter from the beginning. There's this – I don't know very many quarterbacks that are second or third string who don't feel like they should be the starter, who don't feel in some way in their mind that they should be the guy. And what can happen is, is you come and you, you come into a game like this and you overcompensate trying to make too many big plays. And so – if I were coaching him up, I would simplify what he needs to worry about, and I would say, just take what they give you. If if we run a bootleg play and you're open to run, run it. You know, if it's just a short pass, just take the short pass. You don't have to complete a deep a deep post down the field. And I think that helps take the pressure off of him, and it also helps you to accomplish what you want to accomplish as as the offensive coordinator, as the head coach. And I think you'll see that. I think. I think he's a mature young man. I think that he can make plays with his feet and his arm. I think he's a better passer than people think he is. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to the pressure. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for is how will he react to the pressure of playing in his first Division One football game as a starter. So as a, from a coaching perspective, you already talked about don't overload him going into it. And I, and I know what you mean. When I used to coach baseball, and I found myself coaching the bases, as the kid was walking from the on-deck circle to home plate, I would list about 73 things that he had to be aware of. And I realized, boy, that was just, that was just way over the top. There was no, if he even put the bat on the ball, I, was, I would consider it a victory after what I've done and mess with his mind. But during, during the actual game, how much are you going to have interaction with him and what is going to be your approach as far as X's and O's or rather trying to build up and strengthen confidence? Well, I mean, some of that depends on how the game's going, right? But I, but I think my game plan as a coach would be to become a master of questions for the game, not a master of, like, superlatives, you know, like – what did you see? Okay. What, what are you seeing? What, you know, and make sure that you're on the same page because just by asking those questions and finding out those questions, you can find out a lot about where he's at and how much of the offense you have in that you can leave in or that you need to take out. And, and I think that's, that's really the key as a coach is not like, Hey, you missed that read or Hey, you did this or that. It's more like, Hey, what did you see right there? Did you see the cover four defense? Did you see them roll to a cover three? Yeah, I saw it, Coach. Okay, so what took you to that throw? Well, I thought because they rolled to a cover three that I could hit that out over there in the flat. 
Okay, but you didn't see the backer underneath then? Is that what happened? Oh, yeah, I didn't see him at all, Coach. Okay, so we just need to be aware that when they roll the cover three, they're still going to try and cover the flat with the backer. You know, and I'm getting into a lot of different things, but you just keep asking find-out questions to see where he's at. And then really after the first quarter or about the mid midway through the second quarter, you should know exactly where he's at mentally and what plays that you can call to accentuate what he can handle, if that makes sense. Because if you come out and you're like, dude, you just threw an interception to the guy you're supposed to be reading, he's like, yeah, no crap, I, I, I didn't see him. You know. But if you ask questions and you find out what he's looking at, then you, you can protect him a little bit as far as what's going on. And I, I think that's what I would be trying to do as much as I can. What can you do to help the defense? Because they're facing an inexperienced quarterback. USF is starting a kid who's, I think it's like his third start. And USF doesn't run the ball well. They're 88th in the country. Of course, BYU doesn't stop the run well. They're 119th in the country. What can you do to bolster that so you put more of the game on their inexperienced quarterback and maybe he makes some mistakes and helps you out? Well, and I haven't seen much film on this guy, but I think when we have a young starter, it's important to have kind of a blitz package in and then also a coverage package in. And I think you fill out the waters early in the game to see what he can handle and what he can't handle. If he can't handle the blitz package, then you keep bringing the blitz. If he can't handle the, you know, rush three, drop eight type thing, then then you kind of stay with that. And so I think, I think you just kind of have to have both packages in. I think the best way to give your defense confidence, though, is to get a couple of plays early, early in the defense and see what's going on. And then, and then if if somebody's having a good game, like I feel like Kapusi's played some good football lately, or if some of these things are going on, and he starts to gain confidence, then then you start bringing packages with him and and putting him him in a situation where he can make plays rather than. Maybe worrying about the whole defense trying to be involved. Maybe you maybe you take one of your best two or three defensive players and you start putting them in spots to make plays for you. Your Aggies got a bye week. They're going to need it after that. Or are they going to put that LSU thing behind them pretty quickly? Uh, I, I feel like they need a bye week, man. There was guys banged up all over the place. And, you know, the one thing that you worry about when you're a Mountain West Conference team is depth. And hopefully it'll give them a couple of weeks to get healed back up. Hopefully they'll have a couple of weeks to lick their wounds a little bit. I listened to Gary in some of his interviews. I mean, he's he's uh, he's pretty fired up after that game. He was impressed with some of the young guys that kept battling and making plays. Um, but he says, we're looking at the film, and we're looking at guys who quit. We're looking at guys who didn't quit. And uh, there was kind of like a, a firm upper lip. There was kind of a, we better pull ourselves up by the bootstraps right here. I think he was disappointed with some of the things that happened in that game. Um, and, and he understands as a great coach that, that even though that game looked like a blowout, that there was a lot of things that were going on there that if you just get off the field on third down or if you just keep some drives going on third down, that that game becomes a lot closer and you're able to put pressure on an LSU team that's really, really good. And so I think he's not he's – not, you know, put this tape behind them. They're going to see this tape. They're going to learn from this tape, and then they're going to be ready for for University of Nevada. No question about it. Riles, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, thanks, guys.
Talk to you soon. There's our college football insider, Riley Jensen, visits with us every week. We love having him on. When we come back, what is trending? The baseball playoffs, the Dodgers. Yikes. What a way to end it. All right, stay with us.